Eagles Entertainment. The journey to the draft is driven by AAA. AAA roadside is their strong side. Make AAA a part of your game day today. AAA, go ahead. With the 21st pick in the NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA, and we've got a crazy weekend of college football ahead of us as we've got some big-time matchups here. Obviously, some big news we're going to get to, and we're going to talk about the matchups. We're going to talk about the news. We're going to talk about some traits that matter at the quarterback position in Saturday scouting with Ben Fennel. That's how we'll kick things off here on this episode. After that, we've got a special guest, Mr. Relevant this week. Jordan Reed is the host of the Reed Option podcast. He's the senior draft analyst over with the Draft Network. He's going to come on and talk about some players that have stood out to him so far in 2020 and who he is higher on than most. And then we're going to wrap things up with pick six. Ross Tucker is back, and we're going to keep going uh, with our little friendly wagers here uh, on a weekly basis. We'll see who took the lead this past week. And with a bunch of upsets, uh, we've got a lot to talk about with Ross at the end of the show. As always, best way to give us your support is to go on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher, leave us a rating, leave us a comment. It's the best way to throw us your support as we're you know getting to the halfway point now of college football, which is all, you know, it's kind of crazy to say that already, but uh, that's where we are in the middle of October. Thanks so much for everyone who's already done that. Again, go on to Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Really, really appreciate the support on those two platforms. All right, let's get things going. It's time now with Ben Fennel, Saturday Scouting. It's time for Saturday Scouting. Well, back again for another edition of Saturday Scouting is my friend Ben Fennel. Ben, uh, let's get into the big news, man. And I guess at the very top, I mean, obviously big news in the SEC uh, yesterday. We're, we're recording this middle of the day on Thursday. Um, late Wednesday, Alabama head coach Nick Saban was announced to be COVID-19 positive. Uh, the Florida LSU game is postponed as well um, due to a, a huge outbreak on the Gators campus. So, um, you know, obviously the, the good news is, is that so far, knock on wood, that uh, Nick Saban is asymptomatic. But, yeah, it's it's a, a crazy – and this was, the, this was the risk, right, not just for the players but for the coaches and for other staff members as well. Um, you know, ho- hope that uh, everybody on all the staffs across the country uh, can continue to try and stay healthy. Um, so that, that was obviously the big news that kind of rocks the college football world uh, late on Wednesday. But uh, some other news on a, on a lighter note, and I guess getting back to, to the NFL draft, um, Andre Sisco, a, a talented safety, playmaking safety from the University of Syracuse. We've talked about him a number of times here on the show. Uh, he is out for the season after kind of a freak pregame uh, injury during warmups where he collided with a teammate and then you know, suffered a knee injury. So he's out for the year, but opted out and basically said, I'm going to go start getting ready for the NFL draft. So uh, he is declaring for the NFL draft. Ben, I'd love to get your thoughts uh, on Cisco. We've, we've seen the last of him uh, at the college level. <laughs> it's in kind of wild times that that's the positive note in our society. I know, I but know. that's kind of what COVID has done to us and uh, really put the black cloud over us. But Andre Cisco, he's been on the field for about two and a half years for Syracuse, playmaking safety a bit of a risk taker on the back end, but he's a ball hawk. And I think uh, NFL teams are going to kind of covet his role on the back end. Kind of the way Buda Baker came out of Washington has mm-hmm. really uh, excelled with the Arizona Cardinals. And he might be the highest paid safety right now, if I'm not mistaken. Yep. But a similar type of turnover machine. It takes some gambles, but I think NFL teams will love his turnover, big play potential. That's why I've kind of likened him to Marcus Williams down with the Saints uh, coming out of Utah. And I, I kind of saw Williams that way, you know, when he was with the Utes in college. And, you know, because you got like the highs and lows. You saw playmaking potential, the ability to be a post player, but then also 
missed tackles and you know missed assignments. You know, not necessarily missed assignments, but uh, you know that that gambling personality kind of showed up there on the back end as a free safety. And I think you certainly get that uh, with Cisco. But uh, those are tough to figure out. Those high variance safeties. You know, do you want the steady Eddie on a down to down, or do you need the high variance that's going to make enough big plays for you? But it might come at the expense of a couple, you know, big plays given up as well. I would say most coaches. The high, the, at least the you know, coaches that I know would say they'll go with the steady Eddie. Um, but that's up, that's going to be up to Andre is to become more steady Eddie because he's got that potential to be that playmaking safety, but he's got to clean up uh, some of the issues that he it's does even, have. It even goes to like the cornerback position. Even yes. like Asante Samuel's career was very up and down, but got the ball back so many times, you kind of overshadowed maybe the plays or the touchdowns he gave up over the top. No question. All right, well, let's get to this weekend's action now. I mentioned uh, that Florida LSU uh, obviously postponed, um, you know, so we'll see that, that matchup later, but still a bunch of big ones this week. And uh, if I'm going to jump, I'll just jump right in. Look, we won't have Nick Saban on the sideline uh, for Saturday, but that Georgia-Alabama uh, game, I mean, just ridiculous prospects up and down the field. Um, and the big one that I'm going to be focused on is going to be these Alabama receivers, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddle, going up against that Georgia secondary that we have talked about really, you know, I would say very almost on a weekly basis here on the show. You got Tyson Campbell, you got Eric Stokes, uh, the other senior, DJ Daniel, goes under the radar. All these guys, uh, NFL prospects. Uh, it's good. That's a, that's a hell of a matchup, man. You're talking about five guys just at the receiver and corner spot that. Could be top 50, top 75 type selections uh, by the time we get to April. Do they have the best secondary in college football? The University of Georgia, you add in, you know, Mark Webb and Richard LeCount, the three corners where it almost seems like there's not enough snaps to go around. I know Oregon was pretty impressive, but, you know, uh, they're obviously behind getting onto the field this year. Georgia, this might be the toughest test for the Alabama receivers. I know LSU, Derek Stingley, they're figuring some things out with the youth on the back end at LSU. This is probably the toughest test for the Alabama boys. Who's the best prospect? I mean, I guess the, the answer would be Jalen Waddle, But outside of Waddle, who would you say is the best overall prospect from that group of players? That's a good question. It's got to be Jalen Waddle against Tyson Campbell there. Yeah. You know? and that's yeah. kind of what I'm thinking. And yeah. you go to the other side and think, you know, Patrick Sertan and, you know, Christian Barmore. And there's plenty of oh, yeah, top-level top <laughs> NFL prospects in this game. But yep. uh, I'll go to the other side of the ball and stay in this game. Jordan Davis seems like he's going to just have a gauntlet of interior offensive linemen every week. Had to battle Trey Smith last week. Didn't seem to have too many issues. I think they allowed negative one yards rushing against the University of Tennessee. He's going to face big Deontay Brown this week. Moved over to left guard after playing right guard last year. He's a 330-pound straight people mover. So this is going to be a great kind of battle of styles where Jordan Davis doesn't get moved. Deontay Brown is heavy and likes to move people. It's going to be a nasty, nasty battle. Even the other side, you got Ben Cleveland against Christian Barmore. Don't take your eyes off this game. On TV, the tape, this is definitely a, a premier matchup, both sides of the ball. You you love Deontay Brown. Do you do you feel like he he gets the edge in this matchup between those two guys when they go you know one on one? It's not going to be off of their one on one, but is that the, the guy that you like more? I feel like when Alabama panics offensively, they go to the left side run game mm-hmm. behind Alex Leatherwood. Deontay Brown. It's been a little slow, kind of hitting their footing this year. But when in the fourth quarter and they need that kind of you know uh, drive sustainer on first down and stay ahead of the chains, they run off that left-hand side with Najee Harris and Brian Robinson. I really like Deontay Brown. He may not be for everybody, 
you know, I, I think I compared him to Michael Owenu, which maybe in August that wasn't that sexy. And then all of a sudden Owenu is a really nice piece for the New England Patriots as a sixth round pick. He's a guy that I think has NFL pedigree at guard. He just may not be for every scheme. I don't think you're going to want him in his own scheme. Although I did post a nice reach block from a couple weeks ago against uh, A&M, I believe. But um, he's a nice player. I like him. All right, so let's get to my next one, and that's going to be the from the Miami Pitt game. Uh, Miami athletic tight end, Brevin Jordan. I mean, this guy is so dynamic at the position. We talked about him a couple weeks ago. Um, you know, I think he got my one-play takeaway or my game ball. I think he got your game ball one week, and he got my one-play takeaway the week after or vice versa. This guy is just – I mean, he's a playmaker at the tight end spot. You know, in the passing game, what, what this guy can do uh, through the air, he can create chunk plays. Really impressive athlete for the position. Going up against this Pitt defense that – you know, we've talked about the front. I don't feel like we've done enough talking about the back end. I mean, DeMar Hamlin at one safety spot, Paris Ford next to him on the other side. Paris Ford, just an explosive, violent tackler, just a mean player, and I was always around the football. And DeMar Hamlin, I studied him actually last January or last December because he was going to be a part of that class. He actually accepted an invite to the East-West Shrine Bowl, but then he got uh, given that extra year of eligibility, so decided to go back. So um, Hamlin, kind of like a versatile piece. I kind of liked him in terms of his uh, ability to be like a backup role player type uh, in the NFL. Uh, but this is a pretty good pit secondary, so excited to see Brevin Jordan go up against uh, that group overall. Well, let's keep it on that side of the ball because they lost a heartbreaker last week to Boston College. You know who leads the Power Five in QB pressures? Oh, yeah, Rashad Weaver. You know who leads the Power Five in sacks? Patrick Jones. And somehow they're doing it without Jalen Twyman. This Pitt Panther defense is loaded with prospects and loaded with talent and productive players. So my matchup to watch is Patrick Jones, Rashad Weaver against De'Ara King, a very mobile athletic quarterback. These are heavier edge rushers. Patrick Jones is every bit of 265. Weaver's kind of in that same ballpark. I want to see, you know, if De'Ara King can get on the edge of them or if they have to chase them outside the pocket, what type of athleticism Patrick Jones and Weaver can have out in space. And I think Brevin Jordan's going to be a big part of that game plan. I think you you have to use that tight end position, not only to chip and help those tackles, but kind of change up the pacing of the offensive play calling. I want to see some quick tight end screens, some quick yards after cash opportunity, get the ball out of Derek King's hands. He needs a little bit more rhyme and rhythm at the quarterback position, athletic player. Let's get some easy completions, put it in the hands of those playmakers around him. How much have you studied Miami's offense so far this year? I haven't seen a whole lot. Um, you know, I did watch some SMU last year, Rhett Lashley's scheme and, you know, the things he's doing. I think I watched the Miami opener, um, blanking right now who they played. Was they, it Florida or was played, that last uh, year? That, was, that might have been last year. No, they played – yeah, they didn't play Florida last year in the opener. There was like – I think they played Georgia Tech in the opener. It was like one, one of the first – I just remember Brevin games. Jordan had three catches that game and each catch showed something different. There was like yards after catch. There was a catch point play and I think like a vertical touchdown, but – uh, no, I haven't really dug into them too much yet. Yeah, I've watched them a couple times on TV so far this year, and you know, just you could see Dear King has that playmaking ability. I, I just I do worry about what his overall upside is as a passer moving to the NFL, but the guy is a dynamic athlete uh, for sure. Um, so yeah, we'll, we'll keep an eye. Uh, on that game let's get to our next segment here and that's our mock draft roundup where uh, again every single week we're going to pick a mock draft look around at who they've got the Eagles selecting and this week I went a little bit off the beaten path Ben because you know what I did I went over to the draft network and they've got that mock draft simulator where um, you know you can go back and you can kind of do your own mock draft and you can pick you know any of the 32 teams what I did was I picked a team that did not have a first round pick 
and then simulated round one. So I just let I just let their machine kind of to the gods, it. huh? Yeah, that's it. Just let you know, roll the <laughs> dice here. And you know, they had the Eagles picking 13th overall. So let's look at the five picks before the Eagles now. So they had a number eight, the Detroit Lions t- selecting linebacker Dylan Moses. Number nine, the Miami Dolphins taking pass rusher Greg Grousseau from the uh, Miami Hurricanes. Tenth overall, the Miami Dolphins once again on the clock taking wide receiver Jalen Waddle. So they come away with Russo and Waddle. Eleven back pick, sir. Yeah, eleven. The Chargers taking Caleb Farley, the tack or the talented off or cornerback uh, from Virginia Tech. And then twelfth overall, the Minnesota Vikings taking Oklahoma center Creed Humphrey, which I feel like we don't we don't talk too much about Creed Humphrey. But uh, give, give me your takeaway here from those five picks. All good players. Uh, the back-to-back Dolphins. I love the edge rusher and the explosive element on the outside, reuniting with Tua, um, and then bringing a Miami kid just down the street and Gregory Rousseau, who opted out. Dylan Moses, they could use that quarterback of the defense. You know, Jared Davis didn't really work out. Jelani Tavai, I don't think, is what they envision at the position. But Vikings, does that mean they're hitting reset on Garrett Bradbury already, mm. or is they going to slide him over? That means they've gone elf line, Bradbury, Creed Humphrey, all kind of high draft capital. Uh, at that center position, we needed some stability uh, under the quarterback. And, and Humphrey is a big—he's a big kid, so I feel like he's got the guard flexibility. I don't know if you want to—I mean, I guess you could move Bradbury, but I feel like uh, he's done a, a nice job at center. I, I almost would say, like, all right, well, let's move Humphrey over to guard because uh, I know Elfline has struggled uh, throughout most of his career. I, I agree with the uh, with what you said about the. Um, you know, the, the Dolphins two picks there. How about Caleb Farley going to the Chargers, man? They just continue to add blue chip talent to that defense. You know, uh, Derwin James and whoo. Desmond King and Casey Hayward. I mean, they already have uh, front. Uh, with the Oklahoma kid and that D- Kenneth Murray, Murray and Bosa yeah. and Ingram and whoo. A lot, a, of, a lot of size and play. Jerry, and dude, Jerry, Jerry Tillery has his, his, his been good play at D-tackle. I mean, that's that's a lot of first-round picks. I got to tell you, I had a lot of fun watching that team in Hard Knocks. I like yeah. Anthony Lynn. I like the personalities. I think they're revitalized with Justin Herbert on the other side. I'm really – I'm kind of like a closet Chargers fan. I don't know. Mm-hmm. I just – I like the way the uniforms look. I like the way the ball spins in the air. Like, <laughs> just I, I like a lot of things about that Chargers team. I think they need to kind of re, uh, rework that offensive line and get a little younger. Sure, yep. To the thing – to the point i think that this might be a tackle spot right here mm. you know oh. we need to, we need to protect justin herbert we, we need we need his buddy tackle of the future someone he's going to ride or die with for the next 10 years we right now did you see who the chargers played to tackle last week exactly <laughs> yeah, i did i was gonna say I, I couldn't even think about it um right, trey so, pipkins and sam tevy who are nice players but are really not starting caliber tackles in the listen, nfl don't don't sleep on sioux falls all right you know, <laughs> we talk about the trey pipkins uh this is a trey pipkins fan, fan club over here um all right let's so the five picks after the eagles again the eagles picking a 13 so 14th overall the carolina panthers taking alabama tackle alex leatherwood 15th overall the las vegas raiders taking ohio state guard wyatt davis 16th overall, the Chicago Bears taking quarterback Kyle Trask. 17th overall, the Arizona Cardinals taking Ohio State corner Sean Wade. So a couple of Buckeyes here in in this group. And then 18th overall, the 49ers taking Georgia corner Tyson Campbell, who we just talked about a little bit earlier. I mean, the big takeaway there has got to be Kyle Trask in round one, right? Top 16. That, that it's very early, in my opinion. I see Kyle Trask as a similar type of prospect and trajectory as like a Jake Fromm. And I know Trask has bigger size and more of a, you know, I think a prototypical better arm talent, yeah, skill set, yeah. But I still see the on the field production, the down to down play. 
I see kind of a, you know, a, a early day three type of pick, maybe a late day two if somebody gets excited. But 16th overall for Kyle Trask after the Bears traded up for Trubisky, ended up benching him for Nick Foles this season, then to go get a Kyle Trask caliber of player. I'd like to know where the other quarterbacks went. Does this mean is he QB three or four off the board? I'm assuming behind Trevor Lawrence and Trey Lance. Did Justin Fields already come off? It'd be interesting to see. That means maybe three quarterbacks went in the top seven. That'd be my guess. Uh, yep. I'm not sure if you have the you know the top seven in the group there. But no, I don't have speculate. it. Fun to speculate. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it's uh, I would look Trask. I mean, he's he's been lights out so far, right? I mean, I know they had the tough loss this past week, um, but you know, I think the two. I agree with you. From what I have seen from a body of work, I think that's a little bit rich for me. But I will. I am still willing. So let's just say, to let's say it was out. Trey Lance, you know, Trevor Lawrence, and Justin Fields went ahead. Is Kyle Trask QB four? I mean, at this point, like who who else is who else is in that discussion, right? I mean, it's I mean Purdy and Jamie Newman, who hasn't played, and Sam I, Ellinger is kind of in there. But you know, Purdy six one, Ellinger six one, Jamie Newman hasn't played. Mac Jones is six two and barely two hundred pounds. It feels like all these kind of middle of the road quarterbacks in this draft class are all grouped together. See, to me, like after those top three, I think Ellinger, Ellinger and uh, Trask are that next tier for me. That's that next bucket, and. Um, you know, and both guys, I think have the, we have the, we, I think we kind of know like where Sam Ellinger is at this point in terms of what he can be Kyle, because he's just been, he's been a four-year player. I think with Trask, the, the arrow is still kind of pointing up in terms of like, or the, you know, potential to be pointing up because we, we still have yet to see a full year. Like he hasn't been a full year starter yet. Um, so I'm excited to kind of see him continue to grow. I got three names for you that I think are really going to crash the quarterback draft party in 2021, assuming that the juniors come out. Okay. And the three are Kellen Mond, Kellen Mond at Texas A&M. Okay. Kenny Pickett right. at Pitt. Yep. And, and Phil Jurovic at Boston College, mm. who is a Notre Dame transfer. He's only a junior, though. All three of those kids, I think, have more of a upside and skill set for the NFL over a Brock Purdy, Mac Jones, Sam Ellinger, Shane Bouchel, those mm. type of players that I think are a little bit undersized and a little bit lesser skill set wise. Interesting. Well, let's let's pump the brakes. Yeah, a Zach bit Wilson. On the Zach order. Wilson is just at the door of the party, saying, "Don't forget about me, guys." BYU is really uh really clicking this year. They're fun to watch. I don't want to waste too much of our quarterback talk because we are going to be talking about that here uh, coming up in the very in like a minute. But the Eagles at 13th overall in this mock draft take. Alabama wide receiver Devontae Smith. So I, I'd like to get your thoughts on Devontae Smith, 13th overall. Do you, do you kind of view him as that level of player? Yeah, I think so. I think he's going to be a first-round receiver probably just after Jamar Chase and Jalen Waddle. And that next group is going to be Rondell Moore and uh, uh, Rashad Bateman and some of those guys right after it. But Devontae Smith has been on the field a whole lot for Alabama. The interesting thing is I don't think he's a pure burner and he nope. doesn't really have great size. Nope. So he's in kind of no man's land as far as uh, projecting and giving you an NFL comp. He gets himself open. He plays bigger than his size. He's less than 6'1", 175. But does that mean he's like a Harry Douglas style of player? That's not going to excite fans. But, you know, Harry Douglas was a guy that got open really well, good yards after catch, good at the catch point, wasn't an over-the-top guy and wasn't a big guy. Um, you know, so sometimes I see a John Brown style of player, but John Brown had that explosive over the top gear. So Devontae is going to be a really interesting prospect to figure out. He could turn into a, you know, an Antonio Brown type of player, a Marvin Harrison type of player, being that wiry underneath type of get open player. 
Um, but he's done really well, and he's done well in the SEC against top corners. I'm not willing to doubt him. How about Robert Woods? That's a good cop, too. And, you know, I think if fans were to hear Robert Woods and think, you know, 16th overall or wherever we were picking in the draft here, 13th overall, that might not excite people. I know. Robert, that's, that's, Robert, that's kind of, yeah. Robert Woods is a good pro. Robert Woods is a productive NFL player for many, many years. It's like saying Doug Baldwin. Right. If you had Doug Baldwin with the 13th overall pick, are you happy? I know fans are like, ah, Doug Baldwin, eh, he's good, but that's solid. That's hard to find. That's a guy that shows up every week and play any position on, you know, in the receiving core, inside, outside, reliable, down the field, junk catches, you know, possession mover, double moves. You know, I, I just think he's going to be more of the kind of steady Eddie type of receiver than that explosive playmaker. And that might not excite fans. But and that's the thing. It's like Harry Douglas, I believe, was a third round pick out of Louisville. Robert Woods was a second round pick out of USC. Antonio Brown was a fifth round pick. out. This of isn't Michigan. the ballpark you take those type of players. Right. Like where, got, where was Marvin Harrison selected? I, th- I, th- I, think I can't I'm, imagine. It was it was too early coming out of Syracuse. Uh, give me one second. He was drafted 19th overall. Okay. All right. All right. So we're so in that kind of ballpark. Yeah. I think if Eagles fans got a Marvin Harrison. Yeah. I mean, know, Marvin Harrison's the Hall of Famer. You know, that's, to, to, uh, pair, that's, to pair yeah. with our Peyton Manning, Carson Wentz for right, the next 10 right. years, I think we would uh, we would never look back. So yeah, um, yeah. there's a couple projections for it. You know, Marvin Harrison was a guy actually I didn't have in his comp section I'm going to add right now. I hear you typing away, so you're putting it in there. Um, yeah, I, to me, I think that's going to be the interesting discussion with uh, with with Smith is going to be you know when he goes to the combine and not to, you know me like I don't put too much into the combine, but I feel like that's going to open eyes and open the discussion big picture with Devonte Smith is oh well he's you know he's 180 pounds and oh he ran four five three. Oh, like he, you know, he didn't jump all that well. He didn't run all that well. Like, you know, it, what kind of athlete is he? I watching the film. I think you see that he plays faster than he's going to time. He plays bigger than he's going to weigh in. He's got reliable hands. He plays the ball really well. Are you comfortable with that guy being a top fifteen pick or a top twenty five pick? I, I think that's that's going to be a really interesting discussion. Um, you know, with Devonte Smith. So, uh, all right. So let's move to our our next segment, our last segment here. Uh, here, Ben, we're going to go under the hood. And I know fan, we've got a lot of feedback on this segment. A lot, a lot of people are really enjoying it. Uh, where we're going to go one position and just pick a couple traits that really matter to us when evaluating it, and you know what separates the good from the great. This week we're going to talk about backup quarterback because I feel like it's such an interesting conversation, and it's one that's often lost on fans. And you and I have had this conversation, I think, on this show. But it's a you need a very specific skill set to be a good backup quarterback. Uh, it's not just Oh, you know, like arm talent and, oh, you know, are you, are you, are you the second best quarterback talent wise on the team? That's not necessarily always the case. So I'm interested to kind of get your thoughts. I'll let you kick things off. What's the number one trait you look for in a backup quarterback? Well, just take it one step back really quick and put you on the spot. Mm-hmm. Is backup quarterback a position or is backup quarterback a depth? I, and kind of like I, you just I, said, are you default? It's definitely both. You because you ideally, let's put it this way: ideally, you want it to be both, right? Ideally, you want that number two quarterback to also be, uh, you know, everything that you want off the field, and and also by the fact, oh yeah, like he's also really talented and can win a lot of games for us. Um, but I don't think that that I don't think that that always is the case, right? I think you look around the league, and that's certainly not the case everywhere. Um, so that would be my answer to that question. 
All right, so let's go through some traits here. What do we want out of that quarterback position? First thing, you know, we're not going to argue right off the bat. You want the football intelligence. You want 100%. that quarterbacks to be quick-minded. You know, they're going to be coaches on the sideline. They're going to be pseudo-coaches, pseudo-mentors for that starting quarterback, especially if they're the older type of backup quarterback that a lot of teams have been uh, alluding to. And um, you need to be able to seamlessly run that system, and you have to have – you know, the ability to be ready to play with not a whole lot of physical reps and you have to be okay with having the mental reps and to be able to go through those situations in your head all kind of alludes to having that football intelligence. I think it's 100% that's mine for me. And I think when you look at who the established guys on our league, the guys that have been around for forever and have filled in that role. You look at, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick, who's gone back and forth between backup and starter. You look at Case Keenum. You look at Brian Hoyer. Colt McCoy, um, you know, I, I think you look at, you know, Matt Schaub has been a backup for a long time, even though he was a starter for a good chunk of his career in Houston. He started as, an, as a backup in Atlanta. Um, you know, you just look around, Chad Henney, uh, Blaine Gabbert, right? All these guys that have been around the league for a long time, they, you were able to provide information to the quarterback whenever he come, the starter comes to the sideline. It's an extra, you know, it's a, it's a saying that I hate, but it, it's an extra coach on the field, right? And that's you're looking for that from your backup quarterback. Your backup quarterback can't just be like hanging out uh, on the bench, to, you know, eating chicken fingers and, and waiting for the, for the next play. You've got to be ready for, uh, you know, to provide that information. You're reading the defense. You're reading everything that's going on for the starter so that when the starter comes to the sideline, you're ready to help him and try and you know, get him ready for the next series. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, another trade I would go with, you know, the interesting thing about the quarterback position is I want a guy that has very low variance in his play. I don't want a guy that has flashes and highs and then a lot of lows. And Dude, we are know, on the same page right now. The backup quarterback typically doesn't have a whole lot of, you know, sexy traits to him. It's not about physical traits. It's about being steady and reliable in your play, and I want a quarterback that is low variance. It's more about that personality, that mental fit, and not being a high variance quarterback when you come into the game. I think too the the big thing is that you know it's even like you you hear this all the time. I don't need you to go. I don't need you to go win the game. I need you to not lose it, right? I need that. I, that's what you want almost when you're backup quarterbacks in the game. You already know you're you're more than likely going to change the way that you are operating offensively. Um, you know, in terms of like who, who the players are going to rely on, who's going to carry you. Your backup quarterback. 99% of the time is not going to be the guy that's carrying you forward. You want them to go out, hey, don't blow this game for us. You know, do, execute the assignment. Make sure that, you, you know, the ball gets out when it needs to get out. Get it to where it needs to go. Um, but we're not going to put too much on you. So I agree. Like, you know, leaning on that steady Eddie, uh, that's my number two uh, quality as well that I'm looking for. What's your number three? You know, and just kind of also going with that, you know, it's not about physical. And there's so many situations around the league to point to. You know, the Packers just traded up in the first round for Jordan Love. I have a question for you right now. If Aaron Rodgers goes down this week, who's the Packers backup quarterback? If Rodgers goes down, who are the other quarterbacks in the room? It's him and Tim Boyle. Well, I'll answer it for you because it's not Jordan Love. Right, right. And it's not about the physical. Your backup is not a project player. Yep. You know, Jordan Love right now is trying to be molded and developed for the future, not molded and developed to be Aaron Rodgers' backup. And right now he's a, he's a project. He's a physical project. And that's why Tim Boyle is probably coming in the game if Aaron Rodgers goes down. So I also want that player. And this maybe isn't about him per se, more about his style. He needs to be able to seamlessly run the system. Mm. And I want him to have a similar style and skill set to the starting quarterback. 
that means he could run the game plan. He could run the offense. You don't have to change things. And I love going to case studies. Like a couple years ago, the Steelers lost Big Ben. Who were their two backups? Landry Jones and Michael Vick. It couldn't have been more different backup scenarios after Big Ben, and they really had to mold and change the offense to cater to who they were going to play on a, on a week-to-week basis. So I want that player just to be an extension of the offense, extension of the starting quarterback, extension of the coaching staff as well. And I think that's what you get from, you know, the the through-and-through quarterbacks that have been, you know, household backups, whether it's Charlie Batch and Brian Hoyer and Matt Moore, Derek Anderson, Chase Daniel, as we've kind of listed before. Those are all guys that could come in and kind of represent the similar profile of the starter. Yep, and I think that's why you know we've we talked about this um, on the Eagle Eye in the Sky podcast that you look at the the Baltimore Ravens, you know the backup, the two backups there, they mirror the skill set of Lamar Jackson. Right? Obviously, no one's Lamar Jackson, but when you have RG three, you've got Trace McSorley, they're able to come in and play the same way that Lamar Jackson is now you're not changing the offense too much. So you, you definitely do want to be able to kind of replicate that um, with the rest of your quarterback room. So you're not having to change everything. Uh, you know, it's not big wholesale adjustments every time or, you know, when the backup does have to come in to me, the number three thing is <clears throat> you need a certain amount of mental toughness because when you do get that call, you know, these guys are coming in cold, right? You're talking about mid game. You, you, Hey, like, you know, the, the starter just went down. We need you to come in. And, you know, even though we, I just said we need you to be a steady Eddie, you still need to come in. And in order to be that, I think you need to have that mental toughness where the moment's not going to be too big for you. That's not going to be an issue for guys that have been in the league 10, 12 years, obviously. But when you're talking about those young guys, that can be a little bit different for them. You know, guys that are on their first contract, not even like rookie quarterbacks, but guys that are in their third, fourth year. Um, I think that that's something that you're absolutely looking for is a guy that say, you know, do you have – the, the mental toughness to come in mid-game and carry us the rest of the way. You know, once it, hey, if it's a multi-week injury for a quarterback, uh, you say, all right, well, you know, you've got the whole week to prepare. You get your mind right. You're the guy in game plan. You're the guy in, in practice. You're the, you're, you're the guy for the week. It's a little bit of a different story when you're getting, getting called in cold off the bench. So uh, that's certainly another aspect that I'm looking for there as well. Well, what's your organizational philosophy? Because every team kind of looks at this position differently, whether that number two position is your young guy or we always have to protect that two and three position on the quarterback depth chart with a veteran presence. And I see teams that it's come and bit them because their organizational philosophy wasn't to pay a veteran quarterback to go be, you know, a depth piece. And some teams don't want to spend money on those veteran minimum guys. And you look at teams that it's come back and and bit them, whether it's the Packers in 2017, competitive team, Aaron Rodgers goes down, and they have Brett Hundley. I mean, the Oakland Raiders, over the last, I think, six or seven years, Derek Carr has gone down. They've had Matt McGloin start a playoff game and Connor Cook start a playoff game. Two very young guys. So we've seen the organizational philosophy, I think, come back and bite some teams as well for not addressing that backup position with more of a reliable, proven commodity. I think that, you know, when you look, look, it, it's going to all be completely dependent on the, the, that quarterback room. Because if, if you feel if you're only going to carry two, then I think it is a little bit of a risk if the only other quarterback is a is one with no experience. If you're going to carry three, then I think that's where you can get you can you can kind of go one you know one of each, right? And I think when you look at look at the Dallas Cowboys, the Dallas Cowboys are extremely lucky that Dak Prescott's injury uh, ha- did not happen 
last year or the year before where, you know, the only quarterback in the room outside of Dak was Cooper Rush, right? Who has done nothing in the, who has done, you know, extremely unproven. But then you go this year, they went out and they brought in Andy Dalton as, the, as a veteran backup, and now they've got a guy that they can turn to. Um, you know, they can at least keep the ship afloat. I think that's going to – to me, that was a, a huge risk that they were taking, and that it's a, kind of to your, to your point. To me, though, I think it's, a, it's definitely an organizational thing where it's like it, it just depends on how many quarterbacks you feel comfortable keeping on your roster. If you're going to keep three, then you can, get, you can afford to say, okay, you know, for the Packers example, you can keep uh, Tim Boyle here, and then you've got uh, your rookie first-round pick over here. We're going to keep him, develop him. He's not, it's going to be a redshirt year. He's never going to see the field. But then when you look at, so for instance, you look at, at the Eagles, right? When you've got a quarterback like Jalen Hurts who has that creative ability where he can help you in other ways, well, now he's going to be active on game days because you want to be able to utilize that skill set uh, in other ways. You're still going to keep Nate Sudfeld because he's uh, uh, he offers different value, right, than what Jalen Hurts offers right now, year one as a rookie. It's a, I think it's a, it's a really fun conversation to have because there's so many different answers to it. Yeah, and I think it would be a really interesting case study. I'm not even sure if Sudfeld's been active on game days this year. I think he was on the on week one. So yeah, so my question going into the season would have been who would be Carson Wentz backup, you know, God forbid something happened. And that's a similar conversation with Jordan Love that the Packers are in. And Eagles seem to just be so entrenched in this conversation since 2017, where yes, our starter went down. We won the Super Bowl with the backup. Coincidentally, lifelong backup Doug Peterson was the coach. Coincidentally, lifelong backup Frank Reich was the offensive coordinator. Just just an interesting little uh kind of case study there in 2017 through the Eagles. Yeah, no question. Well, Ben, uh, real quick before we wrap this up, what are some of the the elite or what's the trait that separates like the top end NFL backups mm-hmm. from we'll say the good players or the, you know, the, the guys that are like, all right, well, that's a suitable backup answer, but what separates like the great from the good right now in your mind? Yeah, you know, I don't really know how I want to formulate this. But this is in, tough. I know. It's in just difficult. one collective word, it's just personality. Mm. You have to be a personality fit, you know, and just going back to the, you know, not about, you know, the physical traits and, you know, um, you have to be a good fit for the team, for the quarterback room, for the offense, for the play caller. And like you had mentioned, be an extension of the coaching staff out on the field, which seems to be a little redundant with that quarterback position. But if you're not a good personality fit, you're not going to fit in to be the backup quarterback. And I just think you point to so many non on the field things when you see all these backups get jobs after jobs after jobs and people are saying, well, why does he keep getting these jobs when this guy is better than him? He's got a bigger arm. He's won more games. It's not about what happens on the field per se. There's so much else that happens on the sideline. And you forget the game is three and a half hours. Being a backup quarterback is a seven day a week job. And there's that all that other stuff as well. Uh, throughout the week that is more more of his role to do and what he provides isn't necessarily on the field for those three and a half hours yeah that's a a really really good point well ben thanks so much for joining us once again here uh for this segment we will talk to you next week excited to break down the weekend's action with you and dan it's time for mr relevant Well, joining me this week here on Mr. Relevant on the Journey of the Draft podcast, driven by AAA, you could find him as the host on the Read Option podcast, the podcast that I subscribe to as well, uh, as one of the best draft analysts over at the Draft Network. You could follow him on Twitter at NFL. That, of course, is Jordan Reed. Jordan, welcome to the show, man. 
Brandon, it's a pleasure being here. And it's my first time being here. So I'm really excited about this one. Yeah, no question, man. You do outstanding work. Uh, you have for a long time. And I really appreciate you uh, jumping on. And I, I want to start this off with uh, a question I've asked our last couple of guests. Um, you know, in terms of uh, we're a few weeks now into college football. Who's a guy who has caught your eye? Who is, uh, you know, whether you had done him before and you're like, man, I got to watch more or uh, who has made you think, man, like I need to watch this guy. I haven't studied him yet, but now I need to based off what I've seen so far a few weeks into uh, the season. Well, there's two of them for me. And, you know, me being a former quarterback, I'm always searching to be, you know, who's that next quarterback just because we saw Joe, Joe Burrow have that phenomenal year last year. And there always seems to be a quarterback come out of nowhere. And Zach Wilson from BYU is one that's starting to get a lot of steam here now. And I actually was watching two games from him last night from 2019. I watched him against San Diego State and then also against USC. And I was really intrigued by him. And then you go back and watch him against the games he has played this year. And what you notice is that he's a highly efficient quarterback. I'm not the strongest arm in the world, but he does take some shots down the field. But he is that exciting type of intriguing quarterback that you love to see. And then I find out that his nickname is the Mormon Manziel. And that's right. I mean, that's a comparison that definitely popped in when I wrote down about him. So Zach Wilson is definitely one. Then I had another that I wrote down. And it's Khalil Herbert from Virginia Tech, the running back from Virginia Tech. He's one that's highly intriguing. Didn't do too much at Kansas. I believe he played in 35 games there, but he's been absolutely crushing it this or this year. Um, I think he's played in four games and he's recorded three straight 100-yard games. And uh, the thing that stands out the most about him is just his contact balance. He's averaging 5.7 yards after contact. And, you know, contact balance is the word that you love to use with running backs now, whether you're seeing Alvin Kamara or guys like Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb and all these other successful running backs around the NFL. That's something that definitely translates. And then he's averaging 150 yards per game as well, which is one of the tops in the nation as well. So Wilson and Herbert are definitely the two guys that have stood out the most that I had to run back to the tape to watch. So you mentioned you know, a former college quarterback, a very accomplished former college quarterback. And so I want to ask you, what's your favorite position to study? And why is it your favorite position to study? And is there a guy that is in this class that uh, is at that position that maybe isn't like the, the blue chip, like big name, you know, top five guy, but is a guy that you really, really like just based off what you've seen from him so far in his career? So I will say this in practice, I hated these guys, but it's cornerback. I love evaluating cornerbacks just nice. because it's just, it's such a fascinating position to me trying to cover a guard or trying to cover a guy while you're backpedaling. And then that guy is move, moving full speed ahead at you. I think that's something that is very difficult. And then I just love players that talk junk. And at that <laughs> position, I, th- I think that's one that you definitely Were you, were you a chirper? Were you, were you a chirper? Well, I will say this. I was very selective. <laughs> I was very selective with who I chirped at. I will okay. say that. <laughs> smart. That's that smart. Yep. Right. But cornerbacks are guys I didn't say too much to just because when they did get some interceptions off of me, I did get uh, mad about that. But cornerback is definitely my favorite to evaluate just because it's something that I've always found fascinating as far as just the dynamics, the body dynamics of it, and then just the psychological standpoint behind it as well. And then the mental aspect, I think, is one of the hardest positions to translate to in the NFL as well. But one guy that really has stuck out to me and I've been tweeting about him, it feels like endlessly is Eric Stokes from Georgia. He's one that has really stuck out to me. And Tyson Campbell was the highly accomplished, highly decorated recruit coming in five-star recruit that played the opposite of Patrick Sertain down in Florida at American heritage. But Eric Stokes, I think has been the better player this year, in my opinion. And Campbell has all the physical traits that you love to see. He just oozes potential, but you're just waiting for some of those tools to be kind of taken off of the, the tool shed, out of the tool shed with him, but it just hasn't happened. It's happened in spots, but it just hasn't happened all the way. But with Eric Stokes, I mean, he's only surrendered two catches for 24 yards this year. He had an interception against Tennessee and then a pick yep. six against Arkansas as well. And then what you notice is teams are really not even trying his side anymore. But I think this weekend against Alabama, 
is going to be a big test for him. Yeah, he was a guy, you know, coming into the into the year, uh, zero interceptions to his name. So he, he gets a couple so far through this uh, this young season. Uh, you know, to, to me, like just a, a really intriguing player because he's got some competitive juice to him. Uh, he's got some speed to carry. I think he's got some tools there. Uh, he's certainly an interesting guy that I'm excited to continue to do more work on. I did see that pick uh, this past week watching that game against Tennessee. Uh, all right, then another corner that, that I saw you tweeting about this week was the Clemson kid, DK Kendrick, who's still uh, green at the position, you know, a former receiver uh, who made the move to corner last year, now in his second year playing the position. Just interested to kind of get your thoughts on him overall and how you see him projecting to the NFL based off your tape study. Well, his career, his career arc is really interesting just because he came into Clemson, once again, as a highly decorated five-star recruit, but he was a wide receiver when he came into the building, man. They had really big plans for him. They had a very talented receiver room at the time, so he kind of got lost in the shuffle a little bit early on. And then what you notice is that they were kind of lacking some depth at cornerback, and they just made the switch with him, which is something you see a lot going on around the country, especially when you have a lot of depth at a position. Like wide receiver, you just see if they can translate that's a cornerback just because we've seen a lot of players in past in the past successfully make that transition. And I think DK is definitely in a similar situation. I love his mental makeup. I love his pedigree. Same high school with Stefan Gilmore and Davion Clowney. So down there at South Point in South Carolina. So that's something that I think is very worthy on his resume. He comes from a winning pedigree down there. He was a, I believe he was a four-time state champion at quarterback in high school as well. So he's a winner as well. But like you said, he's green at the position, but I think it was just a matter of him continuing to get reps at the position just because you noticed last year that he was just surviving strictly off of athleticism. He had no idea what he was doing out there, and he was just trying to survive out there. And LSU was a game they just absolutely picked on him the entire game just because they knew this was a new guy at the position. But you go back and watch him against Miami last week, he had a really nice interception along the sideline of where – he was in cover three and he just sunk with the receiver. He stayed under him. And then we know he has ball skills just because he's a former successful wide receiver as well. I just think he's one of these players that's probably going to be a late bloomer in the plot in the process that a lot of people didn't have a whole bunch of eyes on coming into it just because he was so raw at the position. But it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up being a first round guy just based off the abilities that he has shown thus far. And I think a lot of teams are going to be really intrigued by just the raw tools that he has shown so far. And he's that multiple piece of clay for lack of better words, that a lot of teams are going to be willing to get their hands on. So I'm going to ask you, we'll wrap this up. I ask the same question I ask everybody. Who, who's a guy that you are higher on than everybody else you know, in the industry um, watching these guys for, in terms of projecting to the NFL draft? Uh, we'll start on the offensive side. Who's a guy that you're higher on than everybody else? Well, this guy hasn't played this year, and I believe he did opt out, but he did end up coming back, and it's Elijah Vera Tucker from USC. I'm a big fan of him. And then what you notice about him is that He's not going to be a guy that gets a whole bunch of vertical push moving forward, but he just doesn't get beat. And you might get a little bit bored with his film, but he's just a guy that doesn't allow any pressure. He has the guard flexibility that you love to see on either side. And it was interesting that he came back just because they're, I think they were going to play him at left tackle this year. And I'm not really sure how that's going to pan out with him. I think he's more of in a guard mode. I think that's what I see him on the next level. I can see some teams actually trying him at center as well. I think he's an interior guy. Um, but overall, I just really liked his film. And then what you notice is that there's really not a lot of red ink as far as negatives that you write about his film, just because he's so strong at the point of attack. And like I said, he just he has really good feet. Um, he's very interested as a pass protector as well. He's very savvy, very good at uh, uh, picking up twists and stunts and then blitz pickups as well. And that's something that I think really translates to the next level. And then the same question, but on defense, uh, who's a guy that you're higher on on that side of the ball? 
So I, I was really surprised that this guy came back as well. Um, just talking about from junior to senior year. And I'm going to stay in that Georgia secondary. It's Richard LeCount III. I'm a big fan of him. Uh, I love his ball skills. And what you notice about this draft class is that there aren't a whole bunch of single high free safeties. I think Andre Sisco was one of the few uh, in this class. And then I will classify Trayvon Morag from TCU as another guy that fits into that mold. But I think LeCount is one of the very few single high free safeties in this class. And we've seen how valuable that position is on the next level. And I think he's one guy that has, I wouldn't say he quite has sideline to sideline speed. I think he probably has numbers to numbers range. I think that would be very fair for him. I think he needs to clean up his tackling a little bit when coming downhill, but that's just a matter of him playing more controlled and then coming to balance. But I'm a big fan of Richard LeCount III, and I like his projection to the next level. Well, if you guys are a big fan of what you've heard so far with Jordan, make sure you go subscribe to the Read Option podcast wherever podcasts can be found. Jordan, it was a good uh, debut here on the podcast, man. We'll have to have you back soon. Thanks so much for joining us here on the Journey to the Draft podcast, driven by AAA. Thanks as always, friend. It was a pleasure. All right, so before we wrap up this episode, it's really, really important to me that I talk about voting. Now, you have likely heard a ton of talk this year about mail-in voting. It's been a huge topic of conversation, and due to COVID-19, millions more Americans are going to vote by mail this year than they have in years past. So in this, this being a general election year, it's going to take a little bit extra time to count and certify all of those mail-in ballots. And I want to start this off by, by saying voting by mail is perfectly safe, but You've got to know how to do everything correctly. The rules for mail-in ballots change from state to state. In Pennsylvania, the deadline to request one of those ballots is October 27th. So that is 12 days from when I'm recording this on October 15th. If you look at Delaware, the deadline is actually October 30th to request one of those ballots. So it's a couple days after that. If you live in New Jersey, a mail-in ballot is going to get sent out to every single active registered voter. So my point is that <clears throat> no matter what state you live in, you're going to have a different set of rules. So make sure that you know what your state's rules are with mail-in voting, and then you just make sure that you follow them. The best thing, too, is that once you do get that ballot, turn that puppy around as fast as possible. You can fill it out. Make sure you follow all the instructions. You want to make sure you fill out with the correct color ink. You make sure you sign everywhere that you're supposed to. You seal that up in that secrecy sleeve that you give, and then you can mail it back out. And if you don't feel comfortable putting it back in the mail, a lot of districts actually offer drop boxes. They're secure drop boxes. You can basically drive up, drop it off in the box. Again, making sure that everything's sealed correctly, signed correctly, and all that. You can drop it off and feel good that you were able to place your vote. Remember, 100 million people did not vote in the last general election four years ago. That's a crazy number. Do what you can to help us lower it. It's all of our civic duty to make sure that all of our voices are heard. Get out and vote on November 3rd. So before we get going with pick six, just a, a quick little note here. This was actually recorded with Ross before the decision to postpone the Florida LSU game. So obviously that's going to be the first matchup we talk about. Luckily, we didn't spend too much time talking about it. Ross and I both agreed on what we thought the outcome of this game would be. But remember, this game was now postponed. It will not be played on Saturday. All right, let's get now to pick six. Now it's time for pick six. All right, well, back again for another edition of Pick 6 is my friend Ross Tucker. Ross, dude, I so it was a day of highs and lows for me last Saturday, man, because I was two games away from really pulling away from you, like putting up like a three- or four-game lead, and then Arkansas gets completely hosed by the refs in that Auburn game. The Texas-Oklahoma game go, you know, goes into four overtimes. You obviously come out with the W on that one. Um, I was I was very upset when I with the ending of that Arkansas Auburn game, but uh, overall we come out of the week 
Same exact way we entered it, where we are one game apart. As I mentioned, you took Oklahoma, I took Texas, and uh, you took Brevin Jordan touchdowns in the Miami-Clemson game. I took Travis Etienne touchdowns, and I did come out uh, the winner in that one. But uh, overall, fun weekend of college football, man. There was a ton of good upsets last week. Yeah, it was uh, it was awesome. Very, very high scoring, and I'm loving that we're doing this, Fran, because there I am – calling the Army and Citadel game for CBS Sports Network, and I keep checking the score of Texas-Oklahoma, and it's nice. <laughs> I, it's, it's fun when we're on the opposite side, that's for sure. No question. All right, well, let's get into the first one here then. Um, the first one is going to be – it's it's interesting, man. LSU versus Florida, you know, and I feel like in the beginning of the season, a lot of people said, oh, yeah, like so this will be LSU – um, but obviously the way Florida has played, they just had their first loss, but, uh, interested to kind of get your thoughts straight up. Who, who wins this game, LSU or Florida? Florida. LSU is showing some major, major flies in the ointment, so to speak. I don't know what has happened to them defensively. I guess Ed Orgeron said to the defensive coordinator, Hey, can we simplify this? If Missouri scores 45 points on you, you got problems. Trask, the, the Kyles, Trask and Pitts probably have about eight touchdowns right there. I'll take Florida, and I'm not sure it's close. I'll take Florida too, man. I don't know why. I think the thought is that this is going to be a close game. But, I mean, the, with the way that Florida's offense is playing right now, I just can't imagine that LSU is going to be able to they're, – they're averaging 30, over 30 points a game right now defensively, LSU. They're giving it – they're putting up way too many points on the scoreboard. Um, you know, I, to me, I just look at this Florida. You mentioned it. I mean, Kyle Trask, uh, Kyle Pitts. You look at Kadarius Toney. Uh, you look at Trayvon Grimes. I mean, they've got so much talent down there. Uh, I just got to think that, especially between Trask and Pitts, uh, that's just too much. Uh, I will take the Gators. I think this is probably one of our biggest slam dunks, um, really, of the season so far. I would be shocked if this went the other way. Uh, let's go to the other, let's go to our next game here. Another pick them, Virginia versus Wake Forest. Interested to kind of get your thoughts on this one because these two teams have played some similar opponents. They both got shellacked by Clemson. Um, they both have played NC State. We'll get your thoughts here on uh, Virginia versus Wake Forest. I like Virginia. Um, I thought Virginia played Clemson better than Wake Forest did. It's just tough for Wake Forest. No Jamie Newman after he transferred and then opted out. No Sage Surratt, the outstanding wide receiver. I just think that that's a lot for them to overcome. And I also think, you know, you hear the Clemson guys after that game against Virginia, they were really talking up Virginia and how tough they were and how it was a competitive game. I know they lost to NC State last week. I was a little bit surprised, but NC State's got it going a little bit with the win over Pitt, yeah. the win over Virginia. But, I mean, yeah, win over Virginia. I'll take Virginia to beat Wake on uh, on Saturday. All right, so we're going to go separate here because I'm going to take the Deeks. And to me, the best player on the field is going to be for Wake Forest, and that's going to be Boogie Basham. All right, you look at what he's able to do getting after the quarterback – we don't know what's going on with Virginia's quarterback situation. At, as of this moment, we're recording this late Tuesday. 
Uh, Brennan Armstrong is in the con- the concussion protocol. Um, I just feel like when you look at uh, the pass rusher there in Boogie Basham going up against the two juniors, you got the left tackle Ryan Nelson, the right tackle Ryan Swoboda. I, I really like Basham uh, in this matchup, that Wake Forest defensive front seven. They've got some prospects there uh, alongside Basham. Uh, I'm going to look forward to the Deeks uh, taking this one and giving me a, a little bit of a lead here uh, in the early goings of the weekend. Um, let's go to our third one here. An over-under, and I try, I had a lot of trouble with this one, man. Alabama running back Najee Harris, rushing yards versus Georgia. Now, Najee just went for over 200 yards and five touchdowns against Ole Miss last Saturday night. The over-under upsetting for this game, 85-and-a-half. Are you going to take the over or under on Najee Harris, 85-and-a-half rushing yards against the Bulldogs? You know, I'm going to go under. Uh, I'm going to go under, and I might regret it. I know there's been a lot of points, even in the SEC with the vaunted defenses. There were a lot of points last week, a lot of yards, but Ole Miss's defense is, like, historically bad. And I just don't think Alabama is going to be able to run it that successfully on Georgia that Najee goes over 100 or even over 85 and a half yards here. I think they're going to have to do it through the air. I think it's going to be Mac Jones throwing it to Devontae Smith as well as Jalen Waddell. I, I think Georgia's going to stop the run and, frankly, hope that that they can get to Jones and he doesn't have a hot day. I'll go under 85 and a half. You know when the last time was that Georgia let a running back, just a running back, go over 85 yards rushing? Nope. The Sugar Bowl of 2018 against Texas. Trey Watson went for 91 yards. They gave up 99 to Lynn Bowden last year in Kentucky, and he was a you know option quarterback uh, with how he was used. But they just stifle opposing running backs, man. And I was really struggling with how low to make the over/under on this one to see if we would, you know, just try and make it interesting. Um, but obviously, look, Najee Harris, he's, he's put up big chunks of yardage, uh, not just last week, but you look over what he did last year and then uh, so far this season. It's in the cards that he can do it. But man, that Georgia front. I mean, we talked about it earlier this season or earlier this week with Dane. I mean, they have, they have just been so good. They were outstanding last week against Tennessee. Look at what they've done. Uh, Arkansas, their top rusher went for 31 yards. Um, uh, uh, Auburn, 25. Like, I mean, it's crazy what they've done. Um, you know, to uh, opposing running backs so far this season. I will take the under as well. So we're both on the under uh, on Najee Harris, 85 and a half rushing yards uh, going into this game. Let's go to another one here. Seven and a half catches for DeMonte Coxie versus Central Florida. DeMonte Coxie is the uh, wide receiver from Memphis. Big kid, kind of a possession guy. He'll go up and get it. He's got some verticality to him. Uh, similar kind of offensive scheme from what they had last year. Um, you know, Obviously, uh, you have a change in coaching staff. But Ryan Silverfield, the head coach, was on staff last year on the offensive side. So some similarities. Interesting to kind of get your thoughts on uh, – Demonte Coxie, over under seven and a half grabs this weekend against a talented UCF secondary. Yeah, I'm going to say over because I I think Memphis is going to have to throw it and throw it quite a bit. I think this is a back and forth high scoring affair. And I think for for Memphis to stay stay with UCF, the Golden Knights in this shootout, I think he's going to have to go over. So I'll go over for Coxie. Yeah, I'm... Dude, I went back and forth on this, and since you went over, I'm I'm thinking I might go under. Ah, go under, go under. Yeah, I'll take the under here, man. I, I'm going to look at look. You look at UCF. 
All right. And this is a group that's got uh, a bunch of, they've had a little bit, you know, a, a couple injuries here and there, but I think overall you look at this group, it's a, a really talented secondary there. There are a couple prospects certainly to keep an eye on. I'll take the under, and I'm going to say they're going to come in and try and take Coxie uh, out of the game here. So I'll tell you, I'll take the over just to make this interesting. Um, next one here, bigger number. Who has more tackles for loss in the game between Miami, who's coming off the, uh, the loss to, uh, uh, to Clemson on Saturday night, and then Pitt, who you mentioned, they were coming off a loss as well. But both these teams have really strong defensive lines. Who do you think has more TFLs in this game? Interestingly, they both have D linemen that opted out too. That's true. Rousseau for Miami and Twyman for Pitt. So think about how good their D lines could have been exactly. if those guys were playing. I'm going to go Miami. Pitt has really disappointed me back-to-back weeks now. I, I really thought that they would play better than that. I'm going to go Miami. I just think with both Quincy Roche and Jalen Phillips, and I, I think it's hard to get a lot of TFLs against Miami because of De'Eric King. I mean, Kenny Pickett's pretty good too, but I'll go, I'll go Miami. We'll have a couple more than Pitt. I'm actually I'm going to go the opposite. I'm going to go with Pitt here. Um, you know, that we've talked a little bit on this show about Patrick Jones, who's a, a rock solid defensive end there uh, for the Panthers. He's a senior, uh, a guy who almost certainly will be down in Mobile uh, at the Senior Bowl next spring. I think when you look at this kid, a uh, very well-rounded player. You know, he can he can give you a little – when you talk about his projection in the NFL, he'll rush the passer a little bit, high motor, he's tough, he's strong. I've, I'll tell you what, though, man, I've heard a lot of buzz about the other kid, Rashad Weaver, who missed all of last season. Uh, I think we've talked about him a little bit here, but uh, from a couple scouts that I've talked to, they've said that they think Weaver has the higher upside of the two. Both guys have been productive this season. I will take the Pitt Panthers to have more TFLs in this game. And my thought process is this, too, Ross, that if Miami gets a little bit of an early lead, you know, you talk about Derek King and, they, you know, they're, they're coming off the loss. Maybe they come out a little bit angry. They throw a couple of touchdowns up early and they get into run, run the ball mode. Well, now those, those Pitt Panthers, they start racking up some TFLs trying to stop the clock and get the ball back, uh, you know, for their offense. So I'm going to play, the, uh, the play that card. I will take Pitt in this matchup. Last one, upset special, our favorite one of the week. Who's your big upset uh, here this weekend in college football? We've got a few options uh, on the table here for us. Oh, yeah. For me, th- there was not a whole lot of hesitation on this one for Ooh. me. It's, it's Boston College over Virginia Tech. Nice. I mean, Virginia Tech's got some issues that they're dealing with, whether it's health or otherwise. Meanwhile, you know, Boston College able to beat Pitt, able to beat Duke. They hung right there with North Carolina. Jeff Halfley, the new head coach. Phil Jerkovic, I did his Army National uh, U.S. Army Bowl and saw him in the state championship in football and basketball at Pine Richland High School. I think Boston College wins that game. Dude, I picked the same game. <laughs> I look at Boston College and I think the same thing. You know, this this Boston College team too, man, they're more electric. They're, they're It's a different offense than what we're used to seeing. You know, the, the old, like, uh, you know, power run game with Steve Adazio, that, that's not what they're doing right now. They're, they're more dynamic. They're doing some more stuff. Um, they've got some young playmakers there that uh, we're not going to be talking about for this draft, but uh, guys certainly to keep an eye on here moving forward. I agree. You look at what Jerkovic has done. Uh, I, I'm going to take the BC Eagles. We're both rooting for the same upset. Uh, here this week, uh, we can see who uh, comes away with the W. But we've got we went opposite on three of these six picks, so we'll see, man. But this was a uh, this was a fun one. It should be a good weekend of college football. We had a great weekend weekend this past week. Hoping for another one here on Saturday, Ross. 
Absolutely. That was crazy last weekend. High scoring, upsets, back and forth. Let's do it again. Hey, do you like Alabama or Georgia? I'll go Alabama. I mean, I think it'll be a really good game, but I'll go I'll go Alabama. Yeah, I think so too. I think Alabama comes out a little bit angry, but Georgia, man, that's that's a pretty complete team. It, it's good. That's going to be a good one. I'm most excited to see Alabama, Georgia. Plenty of guys, uh, as we talked about earlier with Ben. Plenty of plenty of guys uh, to talk about in this game. Well, Ross, thanks so much, man. We'll talk to you next week. Sounds great. My pleasure. Hope you guys enjoyed this week's worth of action here on the Journey of the Draft podcast driven by AAA. Not only did we have outstanding analysis from Dane Brugler, we had two hits from Ben Fennel, who was outstanding as always. We covered the toughest skill players in the college football, in the NFL draft. I was able to take away that one uh, with Jamar Chase. We had Jordan Reed on the show. We were able to talk to an Eagles assistant director of player personnel in Ian Cunningham. We talked all about Miles Sanders. That was earlier this week. We had Ross Tucker on. We had outstanding analysis from everybody that was able to join the show this week. Hope you guys have enjoyed it. Again, if you like this, if you like what you're hearing, make sure you go throw us your support on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. That being said, I'll talk to you guys early next week right here on the Journey to the Draft podcast driven by AAA.